In the chapter uh, that we just read, uh, Jesus said some words uh, which might seem strange to our modern ears. In verse 37 of John chapter 7, Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And as I say, those are potentially confusing words. What does it mean to drink from Jesus? What does it mean that if we do, out of our hearts, or as some versions put it, out of our belly, will flow rivers of living water? It's very strange language, and it's hard for us to understand But part of the answer to understanding what Jesus is saying in these verses comes from when he said it. Did you notice what verse 37 said? It said, on the last day, that great day of the feast. Uh, Jesus has gone down, as we read at the beginning of the chapter, to Jerusalem, to Judea, to celebrate the feast of tabernacles. Uh, In ancient Israel, indeed to this day, I believe, these feasts are still celebrated amongst the Jewish community. Uh, In ancient Israel, there were three major feasts. uh, And these three festivals were focused around the harvest. Uh, The first feast was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was at the beginning of spring in March-April time as we would call it. And that was at the beginning of the barley harvest. The next feast in the year was the Feast of Weeks, or perhaps more commonly known as Pentecost. And that was celebrated at the beginning of summer, what we would call uh, May-June time. And that was the beginning of the wheat harvest. And then getting on towards the end of the year, at the beginning of autumn or what we would say September, October time, this time of the year, the Israelites would celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, and it was the time of the fruit harvest. And uh, at this time of the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, it was also known as the Feast of Ingathering, because it was when all the harvest was finally gathered in. The final harvest for the whole of the year was brought in and gathered into barns and storehouses. And God instructed the Israelites during this week, seven days, eight days of the Feast of Tabernacles, to take branches from palm trees and other leafy trees, and they were to make tents or tabernacles for themselves, which they would live in for seven days. And that was to remind them of how God brought them out of Egypt and led them through the wilderness where they lived in tents. And they were to spend this festival, this feast time, rejoicing in the harvest that God had given to them, but also remembering that it was God who had brought them out of slavery in Egypt and had redeemed them into the land which they now lived, the land flowing with milk and honey. And it was the Feast of Tabernacles, that feast, which Jesus 
is celebrating and the people are celebrating in John chapter 7. And we're told that it's on the last day of this great feast, uh, the great day as it's called, the, the culmination, the climax of the feast. Jesus stands up and he proclaims for everyone to hear, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. He says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. Come to me and out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. And bearing in mind that this is the harvest time and that they're celebrating God's goodness to them in the harvest... Don't think when he's saying that simply of a parched person desperate for a drink of water. Uh, That's part of the meaning, but that's not the whole meaning. Instead, think of a parched field uh, or a field filled with withered plants in a drought, which is in desperate need of sustenance, of water, of nourishment. That's the picture we should have in our mind when Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Think of a dry and thirsty land where everything is parched, everything is dying, everything is withered. That is, in fact, the language which King David used in Psalm 63. Uh, In Psalm 63, King David wrote, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. And Jesus is using that same language and he's pointing people to him. And he's saying, come to me if you're parched. Come to me if you are thirsty. Come to me if you are withered and dying. In essence, what he's saying is, I am the source of the harvest. I am the source of life. In fact, as we've seen a few moments' time, he's actually saying, I am the harvest. The irony of this time was that the Israelites were celebrating the physical harvest. You've got a little sample in front of me here this morning. And they were celebrating all the good gifts God had given to them. But the irony was that spiritually, they were destitute. Spiritually, they were dry. Spiritually, they were withered. We saw that in the way they were speaking of Christ. Did you remember what it said in verse 11 and 12? Uh, It says, when the feast was at its height, middle of the week, it says, verse 11, then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much complaining amongst the people concerning him. Some said he is good, but others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. Some thought Jesus was good, but others said, no, he's a liar. He's a deceiver. And their hearts were stunted and withered and dry. And the same can be true of us today. Uh, Financially, materialistically, we have more than almost anyone in human history. I remember hearing someone just the other week saying that 
most of us, probably all of us, enjoy more creature comforts than the Roman emperors did. Stop to think about that. You sleep in a more comfortable bed than the Roman emperors did. You have easier access to food than many of the Roman emperors did. Uh, You can travel much easier than the Roman emperors could. Materialistically, uh, in terms of prosperity, we are massively privileged compared to most people in human history and indeed most people across this world. And yet, so many in this country, perhaps even in this building, are spiritually parched, withered, uh, lost. Let me ask you this morning, whether you're here in the building or watching online, what is your purpose in life? Uh, What is your aim? Uh, What gets you up in the morning? What are you living for? And if Jesus is not in your answer, then your life is as dry and as withered as those who Christ is speaking to. Your life, if that is the case, is like a car without wheels. It's like a knife without a blade. Uh, It's life like a hammer without a head or a bucket with holes in it. Because Jesus is teaching us here that he is the source of all life. He is the point of all existence. We're told later by the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians that all things were made by him and for him and through him and to him. Uh, If Jesus is not the chief factor in your life, then you're wasting it. You are as pointless, as I say, as that knife without a blade. You are missing your point in life. And although you may not feel it, you may feel satisfied. You may feel content with how your life is going. Before too long, you'll find that it's not so satisfying. Because we were not designed to fill the hole in our life with wealth or with food or with whatever it is we are trying to fill it with. Christ is the only place of ultimate contentment and fulfillment. And we're taught that even uh, through the whole of Israel's calendar. Uh, I was speaking earlier of those feasts which marked the year in Israel. And everything in their lives centred around the calendar, around the harvest. But do you realise that each of those feasts, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread at the beginning of the year, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost in the middle of the year, and the Feast of Tabernacles towards the end of the year, all points towards Jesus. Uh, In the Feast of Unleavened Bread was where they celebrated the Passover, where they still do celebrate the Passover. Uh, Right at the beginning of that week, they had a Sabbath. And uh, the day before, they would kill the Passover lamb. 
And it reminded them how God had rescued the people of Israel from Egypt, how they had to dip uh, into the blood of a lamb, a perfect lamb, and they put the blood on the doorpost and lintel, and the angel of death passed over the houses which had the blood on it. But of course, that was a picture that pointed to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, We don't celebrate Passover in the same way the Jews do. Uh, We celebrate the Lord's table, which reminds us of what Christ has done for everyone who believes on him. Uh, If we are trusting in Christ's blood, then we will pass through death. Because Jesus has paid our punishments, we do not need to fear death. We can be forgiven. We can be washed. We can be cleansed because Jesus has paid the price for us. As that lamb at Passover suffered and died instead of the firstborn, so Christ suffered and died for anyone who will trust in him. That feast was all about, ultimately, Christ. A few days later, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Israelites celebrated what was known as the first fruits. And what would happen is the first fruits of the harvest, that barley harvest, would be waved, as it were, before the Lord. In this ceremony, the first fruits would be waved before God, presumably in the temple. And again, that points to Christ. Because as a few days later, after the beginning, the Passover, the first fruits would be waved, so Christ. Three days after he died, he rose again, and he, as it were, was waved before all to see as he was raised from the dead, the first fruits of the harvest. Because Jesus died and rose again, anyone who believes in him, when they die, will also rise again. He is the first fruits of the harvest. Whatever happens to Christ, or whatever has happened to Christ, will happen to all of us who believe on him. Uh, I'm not a gardener, and many of you will know that, uh, but I understand that strawberry plants uh, have runners on them as they're growing, and these runners shoot off in all sorts of different directions. They're thin green stems, but they live off the power of the mother plants, and given the right circumstances, given enough time, those runners will become strawberry plants of their own. And that's a little picture of what it's like for us with Christ. Christ is the one who has won us salvation. He is the one who has died for us that we might be forgiven, and he's risen for us that we might have new life. But because he's died, because he's risen, we also will have new life. Because he lives we will live also. And when we drink of Christ, as it were, he makes us into fruitful trees ourselves. That's exactly what Jesus means when he says in verse 38, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Because Jesus doesn't exist merely to satisfy our longings, though he does. He also exists that we might be a source of benefit to others, that we might be conduits of Christ to other people. Uh, Isaiah 58, 11 puts it this way. 
It says, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Isn't that ultimately what we all want to be at the end of the day? However selfish we are, we all long to be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. We all want to be that sort of person which doesn't just suck life from others, but wants to give life, wants to be like a fruitful bough of a tree. Well, Jesus is saying that can only happen through him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But let's keep going through uh, Israel's calendar. Uh, We've seen the Feast of Unleavened Bread points to Christ, but 50 days later, the Israelites celebrated the Feast of Weeks, known as Pentecost. This was the height of the harvest, the wheat harvest. And we don't need me to tell you how that points to Jesus. Because, of course, in the book of Acts, we learn how at Pentecost, Christ poured his Holy Spirit out on his apostles, on his disciples. And he sent them out, as it were, into the harvest field to gather God's people, to send them out to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he anointed them with his Holy Spirit that they might be given power, that they might be fruitful. So we see the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost itself, points to Christ. And then we see the Feast of Tabernacles at the end of the year, where all the harvest is finally gathered in. And the Bible speaks of a day that is coming, which will be like a day of harvest, where Christ comes like a glorious farmer who will harvest the earth. Uh, Revelation chapter 14 puts it this way. John looks and he sees a vision. He says, I looked and behold a white cloud. And on the cloud sat one like the son of man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. You may have wondered at the beginning of chapter 7 why Jesus delayed coming down to the feast. Uh, Perhaps that's another sermon for another day. But part of the reason, perhaps, is to illustrate this fact that the harvest day is coming. That day of judgment is coming one day where every wrong will be righted and God will separate his people from those who rejected him, his enemies. But for now, there's a delay. Christ is delaying that day. He is still sending out his people into the harvest to gather people in. There's still hope because on that day, there will be no more hope. The time will have come. Christ will gather his wheat into the barn. That is all those who have trusted in him, who look to him, who have come to him to drink, as it were, who have 
renounced other ways of finding satisfaction and peace and joy and happiness and are looking to him for the joy that only he can give, those are the wheat, and he will cast out the chaff, i.e. that which is useless, that which is just blown away by the wind. Psalm 1 puts it like this. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delights is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous." but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The solemn truth uh, this morning is that all of us, whoever we are, are either wheat or we are chaff. There is no middle option. Either we are like those who delight in the law of God. We're like those who come to Christ and drink and say, I'm guilty. I'm a sinner. I need Christ. I sacrifice the other lesser things of this world that I might gain him. And when we do that, we are given the Holy Spirit and we have a fruitful life. Or we like the chaff, those who ignore God, those who dismiss Christ, those who go their own way, who seek their own satisfaction in anywhere but Christ. And we're told they're just like chaff, which the wind drives away. Your riches will mean nothing one day. They don't mean very much even now. All the things that we so often treasure in this life, think of it, all of them fade away in the end. Only those who cling to Christ will endure. You may come to church every Sunday and there are many who ask God that they might be blessed and prosperous and yet all through the week long they're sowing weeds because they're not looking to Christ, they're looking elsewhere. And they're merely sowing weeds into the garden of their life. God does not require of us to be super religious. He's not wanting us even to do better, to accomplish more in our own strength. What he wants is for us to acknowledge that without him, we are nothing. That we need Christ. And if that is you this morning, if you are, as it were, thirsty, if you realize that by yourself you are withered, by yourself you are parched, by yourself you cannot find the satisfaction your heart craves, then Jesus says to you, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he promises you, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water.
none of us need to be unsatisfied. Our lives may be easy, they might be hard, but whether they are easy or whether they are hard, we can all find peace and joy and satisfaction and everlasting life through Christ, in him and him alone. Don't look anywhere else. But I want to close uh, with an encouragement. Uh, Because you might be a believer here this morning. Perhaps you agree with everything I say and you say, yes, by myself I am withered. By myself I am parched. Yes, without Christ I am nothing. But you might say, but I wouldn't describe my life as one out of which is flowing rivers of living water. Perhaps you struggle. Uh, Perhaps you can see all too clearly your weakness and your failures, and you think, is that really me? Jesus says, he who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And you think, that doesn't sound like my life. Well, I heard a story. Uh, just this last week, uh, which encouraged me. It was about an old man, a believer, who died. And uh, all of his family and friends had died before him. And because he was alone, a a particular minister decided he would go to the funeral of this old man so that he wouldn't be no one else at the funeral. Uh, But as he was standing at the graveside in the cemetery... Uh, he noticed another man come up and stand uh, by the graveside. And the two got talking, and the minister noticed that the uh, man was wearing a soldier's uniform. And the minister asked him, why are you here? And the soldier responded. He says, years ago... Thomas, that was the man who had died, was my Sunday school teacher. I was a wild lad and a sore trial to him. He never knew what he did for me, but I owe everything I am or will be to old Thomas. And today I had to come to salute him at the end. That was an old man. Look at his life and you'd say, fruitless, pointless. And yet it was not pointless. Out of his heart had flown rivers of living water. And he had been an influence and a wonderful benefit in this soldier's life. And Thomas never knew it. That old man never realised. He went to his grave never having realised. And that is so often the case with us. We do not know all the good that flows out of our life. Uh, God doesn't say to us, go and be successful. He says, go and be faithful. And he will take care of the rest. And if we don't faint, if we don't give up, we will reap in the end. If we sow to Christ, none of it is ever wasted. And that promise which Christ said is true for all who trust in him. Don't give up. Keep looking to him. 
Keep looking to Christ. Don't look at your life. Don't judge your life by your own standards. Don't judge your life by other people's standards. Only look to him, and out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. And your life itself will be a harvest. And with those thoughts in mind, I've chosen uh, as our final hymn, number 86. Uh, Number 86 in the hymn book. Number 86. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. And particularly verse 3 which describes all that we can have in Christ. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thy own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, blessings all mine with 10,000 besides. So let's close by singing number 86.